Welcome to Stories from the Midland, a collection of historic tales from Teller County and the surrounding areas. I'm Tommy Allen, and in today's episode, Trevor Phipps and I sit down and talk about the subject for today, the Paint Pony Ranch. This episode is being done in a different format as Trevor and I went down to 110 Reserve in Woodland Park and sat down and talked about the Paint Pony Ranch and the surrounding area and its history. This episode is based on an article written by Trevor Phipps for the Mountain Jackpot newspaper. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Stories from the Midland. This is Tommy Allen. And Trevor Phipps. And today we're coming to you from the 110 Reserve down in Woodland Park. We're going to go with a little bit of a different format for today's episode. Now, Trevor just wrote an article. Well, actually, why don't you tell us what we're talking about today, Trevor? So I wrote an article about um, pretty much the property that I live on. And um, it was at one point, it was a big ranch that encompassed uh, the Woodland Park Community Church and kind of a lot of other subdivisions in the area. So I kind of always interested in the history of it since I lived there and I grew up there. And so I kind of dove in and did some research and kind of got the history of the property from inception, basically when it was bought all the way. And then I found out it was a resort at one time, a pretty popular resort. And then it, in the nineties is when it was turned into the community church property that is still there to this day. So, well, so uh, we talked a little bit about the, the paint pony ranch and it's, uh, so, I mean, it really starts, I guess it was about a mile up 60, up 67, uh, and then ran north past where 67 kind of curves to the west, and uh, ran up into, uh, I guess, what is now essentially Sunnywood, up around there? That, that's kind of where it stretches? To? Yeah, it's, it was about, it was about Kelly Road, mm-hmm. about Kelly Road in 67, maybe about, you know, half mile east or so, and then north, probably about a mile. From reading your article, the the Paint Pony Ranch was originally, uh, before it was the Paint Pony Ranch, purchased just after the Civil War. Can you kind of give some background on that, on how the land was acquired? Yeah, so it was actually um, by the guy by the name of Civil War veteran Anthony Eisworth and his wife Sarah were actually the first ones to purchase land back in 1877. So. Um, to give it some context, the Civil War ended in 1865, so it was you know about 12 years later they headed out this way, and it was originally a 160-acre piece of land. Um, Anthony ended up dying only two years later, so the so Sarah kind of took it over. So when his wife Sarah was in charge of it, she started buying pieces of land up by it. Eventually, in 1882, is when um, they got the official deed for the land because basically how it worked back then is they were homesteaders so since there wasn't land populated out here in the west people could come here and basically just settle on a piece of land and claim it and then after a while and this it took them about five years here they actually got the official deed through their homesteader rights to own the land because i think in 1882 is when they started giving deeds to the land so okay. there's actually names on pieces of property so she went out she started acquiring a bunch of pieces of land next to her and it was actually it grew to around 560 acres how was the, the paint pony ranch when it became that how was that actually established who bought it and how did it grow out of that purchase so it was actually so um in it, around 1950 the uh, James Darwin Elder Jr., who went by the name Dar, and his wife Truly, 
they actually, they had been at a couple different places. They had lived at Estes Park for a while and they were business people up there owned a couple businesses. And then they, they actually ended up in this area because they started managing summer camps around town. So they got into the summer camp business and they'd always wanted to own their own ranch and turn it into like a, a dude ranch or like a, an operating ranch. So they, so they ended up looking around and they found the property for Isworth and they ended up buying 560 acres around for, from the Isworth in 1950. And um, he basically, as soon as he got here, he opened a real estate office up and he was gonna start developing land in the area. So he kind of bought the property where the Paint Pony Ranch was. He was originally gonna, I think he was gonna originally put a ranch on it and the ranch was there for a little while but then he had this dream of developing houses all around because it's kind of a va- it sits in a valley and there's houses on hills above it and it all had good views of Pikes Peak so he had this vision of building houses around and then he wanted a resort and the resort eventually he wanted to put a golf course there because him and his wife were avid golfers so that's kind of where it all started um, but it took him a while to really get to that point um, they built their own house in 1951 and that's when they came up with the name Paint Pony Ranch and then they basically started developing it. So from by going through your article it seems like the, the Paint Pony Ranch is kind of the whole area including the housing development yes. and then when they decided to uh, make the resort type area it became the that part was the Paint Pony Country Club? Yes. Yes, I think originally there, it was a, a ranch originally. Sure, okay. Yes, and they, they, I, I know they had a stables there and they did do some sort of dude ranch stuff there for a while. Mm-hmm. And I think they took that idea and changed it into being a subdivision basically around a resort. Okay, now bef- while they owned that property before they actually o- opened the resort portion, the country club, what kind of stuff did they do for the community? They were, they, as soon as they moved here, they opened up a real estate shop and they became instantly engulfed with the community by volunteering for a bunch of different organizations. Um, they were active in the Saddle Club in Woodland Park. There's also a Woodland Park Commercial Club that they're a part of. Um, Dar was a member of the Manitou Park cha- chapter of the Isaac Walton League and the Rotary of Car Springs. And Dar was actually the first president of the local Lions Club here in Woodland Park. Um, so, and as a part of that, they kind of, they wanted to get back to the community and Dar was kind of like a, I guess like an AV, what, what an AV nerd would have been back in the 1950s. No, that's he had me. A, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Me, but, but richer. Exactly. So he had uh, basically all the equipment he could to put on a movie, which in 1950, that wasn't really that common. And there were still a lot of silent films, but he actually had the capability to put on a real movie that had sound, which is... A big deal. So basically what he did is he put it on here in City Hall in Woodland Park and he got different organizations in town to sponsor it. And I want to say the Saddle Club, Burt Bergstrom was one of the first ones to sponsor the movies he had, but I guess they would bring people from all over to come to City Hall to the point where it was standing room only and people had to bring in their own chairs oh, to watch neat. it. So, Okay. So the, uh, they have the, this uh, stuff that they did for the community, and then when, when did you say the actual country club was established? The actual country club didn't come around until, well, it, it was actually June 22nd, so in the summer of 1958. In the summer of 1958, that's when they officially opened their c- 
country club with it had excellent kitchen facilities, a large dining room, regulation tennis courts, and a heated swimming pool. And they still, their, their idea with the golf course is still there, but it was still in construction at that point in 1958. So they kind of were constructing nine hole golf course. And then on July 4th, 1961 is where, when the elders opened their brand new line, nine hole golf course, as it basically did it as a special way to celebrate Independence Day. They waited for their grand opening on 4th of July and invited everybody to come to their golf course. So now they had a, a full resort, which had a heated swimming pool, tennis courts. Uh, they even had stables on the ranch that they could give horseback rides and now, and now a golf course too. So yeah, so, and, and then so shortly after they actually built an airstrip on the property. Cause I guess from what I've talked to local historians and people that were kind of still around back then was that I, I guess a lot of the people that like to come to the club were, were from Texas. It was kind of, it quickly became known as a place for Tex, wealthy Texans particularly to come to Woodland Park. So Elder at one point he built an airstrip right by, and from what I understand it's right, so if you're, it's the Columbine Village townhouses now are right there. So if you look in between Kelly, on Highway 67 in between Kelly Road and Valley View Road Drive, there's kind of a flatter area where all the townhomes are now and from what I understand that was the airstrip where you know wealthy people could fly in and land directly in Woodland Park and be right there at the country club so and, Woodland Park used to have its own airstrip right. that's, that's something yeah and it kind of it brings up another thing one of the things I read from most of the source I got this from local historian Steve Plute and he kind of remembered some of it and one thing he mentioned in there is that um the people at the Paint Pony Country Club were kind of a different breed. They were known to be snobby, is how he put it. There wasn't, so you kind of had like, in Woodland Park back then, you kind of had two different, you know, crowds of people. You had the people at the Saddle Club that were the more cowboy, down-to-earth kind of people that welcomed everyone, and then you had like the Country Club goers that were more stuck up, I guess. Uh-huh. And, um... So that was and one interesting story about when there was an airstrip there. There was actually a guy from Cristola that crashed, was killed, crashed his plane trying to land on the airstrip on June 20th, 1964. And um, it's kind of funny when I, I was talking to Mary Jo Larson, who's the second generation owns a cow hand, and she, her parents actually ran that stables that was on Paint Pony Ranch. And they were... She told me the story. She was sitting, they were closing down the stable down one evening, and the that airplane came sputtering in and almost hit their barn as it crashed in the field behind them. So, so when the plane crashed, it was obviously having mechanical problems, yeah. according to the stories. Then. Yeah, it wasn't like that. The the airstrip was set up in some dangerous way. Yeah, or he was drunk driving the plane or something. Oh, yeah, it, okay. it sounded uh, like there was you know some sort of mechanical problems that he had and he crashed and he died and it, it was seen as a tragedy in the area because he was from Cristola so everybody sure. knew him and it was you know one of the, the biggest events that happened on the Pate Pony Ranch. Now with the airstrip there could and the neighborhood right next to it could people kind of land and taxi right up to <laughs> their front door? Yeah there was actually a story that Steve Plute told one of the one of his family friends um, a man by the name of Bob Dixon actually owned a house on Kelly Road. It's one of the first ones in the area. It was built in 1951. 
And yeah, he would land his Super Cub on the airstrip and then just taxi across the golf course on the fairways and just drive it straight to his home. And, and I have a feeling that I was probably frowned upon by Dar Elder because Steve Blute also mentions it when he was in high school, him and a, a friend of his were galloping their horses across the fairway and uh, Dar wasn't very happy with them and I guess kind of chewed their butts is the way he put it. And But he also said that he n- never thought about riding his horses across the golf course again after that. So it's kind of kind of some interesting stories with that place. So how long did the uh, the elders with Dar and Turley, right? Is that what it was? Yeah. Dar and Turley. Um, how Truly. Long did they, what's that? Truly. Truly. Oh, okay. Uh, how long did they own the the country club? You know, the, the the land. I don't know. That that's kind of debated a little bit because in the stuff I got from Steve Pluth, it says that at one point Dar actually put the ownership of the property into his brother's name. Okay. And nobody really, nobody really knew his brother. Nobody's really sure why they did that. They thought it was maybe something that had to do with taxes. Maybe he was transferring name, properties into different names. <laughs> I don't tax evasion. I don't know. But, okay. Um, so they ran it, and they basically, the elders ran it until about 1965 when they sold it to Jerry and Mary Linda Mills, who owned a couple other ranches in the area. And um, even though that Dar had transferred to his brother's name, the paperwork shows that it was purchased from Dar in 65. So th- nobody's really sure what went on there, but... goes back to those wondering about why it was transferred over to his brother in the yeah, first place, huh? exactly. So, so yeah, 1965, and then the Mills owned it for a few more years, and it was, it was doing better, but I think by this point, the property was starting to get a little dilapidated. It hadn't really been maintained the way it should. And it was put up for sale in 1971, and um, the the members were actually kind of upset about it. Um, so basically, 1971, when it went up for sale, the club's members got together, and they all pulled their money and they purchased the land so they could, so it would be a club, a member, a member-owned club, and um, and so they put a board of directors in charge of it. And, but at this point, they shut it down to just being open, open seasonal. And because the golf course and the buildings are starting to get warm. Um, and another thing that I've heard that was kind of more of a rumor, but from another historian who was alive during that time, I guess there was kind of a rumor going around that there was a scandal between the members that certain members weren't necessarily paying their dues and weren't paying for their part of it. So basically, um, the resort closed for the winter in 1975 and they were slated on being open again in in May 1st, 1976. But the rumor has it since the scandal between the club members was going on that they were unable to open then. So they never did reopen in 1976. Ah, so was was that it for the Painted Pony, or what happened after that? No, actually, so at that point, the, the city of Woodland Park actually looked into purchasing it because they thought it was a really good thing for the city, so they wanted, they pitched a proposal. Woodland Park and the local chamber of commerce wanted to purchase a property and turn it into a publicly owned country club. Um, they were trying to get a grant from the El Parmo Pomar Foundation, who was going to eventually do it, 
and then they were basically going to have it owned by Teller County and the city of Woodland Park. But part of that proposal was that they wanted to um, have other people that lived in Teller County, not in Woodland Park, people from Divide, Flores, and Cripple Creek, also have to pay the dues and have to pay to help maintain and so fix up the park. So That was very popular, I yeah, think? Yeah, as you can imagine, that was, wasn't a very popular idea at all. Like, the locals of Woodland Park and further Teller County pretty much all fought it and didn't like the idea at all. And then eventually... The deal went through because the El, Parmel, El Pomar Foundation pulled their grant, which was going to give them the majority of the money to actually purchase it. So at that point, it didn't get reopened until it, it, was, it, well, it was put up for sale again, basically, since the city didn't end up buying it. And it was closed for a couple years. And then it reopened again in 1978 as the Woodshire Inn. Now, when the new owners came in with the Woodshire Inn, they renovated the whole clubhouse, but the swimming pool and golf course were still pretty dilapidated and in poor condition. And then the Woodshire Inn actually didn't even last for a year before the golf course closed and the property was sold to a guy named Bill Mahaffey. So Bill Mahaffey came in and he saw this clubhouse that was in a good shape on a country club but the rest of the country club really wasn't workable without a big investment. Well, Mahaffey owned a, a pretty fancy restaurant in Colorado Springs called William's Restaurant that was pretty popular. So Mahaffey's idea was to bring William's Restaurant up to Woodland Park. Since he'd done well up here, he was gonna bring the same concept up here. So kind of the the theme of the restaurant was it would be a fine dining restaurant inside a country club so it was you were in this country club type atmosphere with i assume probably nice decorations on the wall and well, nice furniture for the day too, so yeah but then you'd have a fine dining experience and um everybody i've talked to it went to williams loved it one of the things they were known of known for was that any meal you would get you would get a big bucket of ice cold shrimp and as you can imagine being inland as Colorado is, I bet back then it wasn't real popular to have shrimp in every restaurant. So that was kind quite of like a commodity, a, yeah. Yeah, so that was one thing they were known about. You get a big bucket of shrimp and then um, they had steaks there and they had, I guess, really good food. It was a, known as a destination restaurant that people would come from all over just to go eat at Williams Restaurant in Woodland Park. So, and how long did that restaurant stay open? Okay, so the restaurant actually stay, stayed open until 1984. It shut its, when it shut its doors down and the property sold. And then um, that was pretty much the end of Paint Pony Resort and the restaurant. After that, um, it transferred hands a bunch of different times between 84 and beyond. And then in 1993, it basically came to an end when um, the guy who owned it, Dean Rawson, made a deal with the Woodland Park Community Church to trade the property they, they owned here in town, which is actually where 110 Reserve would be that property right behind it, where the Radiant Church sits now. So, so the church owned the property here in town, so they made a deal to trade Dean Rawson, the church property they had in town, for that property where the Paint Pony Clubhouse at. Now, at this point, the clubhouse 
property was a lot smaller. Most of the golf course had already been torn down and turned into houses. There was just a building where the clubhouse was. The swimming pool still existed. Um, and But the golf course was no more. And there was basically houses from where the golf course was. So what happened to the clubhouse then? So, so this is kind of an interesting story too. And... 1993, they, I think the, I'm pretty sure the building was condemned and um, they, the, the community church wanted to tear the building down and just rebuild their own custom church on the property. So how they did it was the Northeast Taylor County Fire Department had a training exercise. I'm not sure where this thought process came about, but they wouldn't do this now, but they had a training exercise where they decided to burn the building down as like a firefighter training for a structure fire. So it was on March 12th, 1994, the fire department came in and they torched the property to the ground. And then that next October, they had a circus came in and a big circus came in on the property. And then the church, the new church building, the building that stands now was opened in March, 1995. Yeah, I gotta say, if you're gonna if you're gonna demolish a building, lending it over yeah. to the firefighters, that's a pretty cool <laughs> idea, as far as I'm concerned. You get them some training, and it's a free way to get rid of that building. I suppose. <laughs> so. Yeah, and I actually so so I guess I'll, I'll get back on. I'll I'll get to the side story now. Um, okay, yeah. So kind of, you know, I I had mentioned why this was important to me because I lived at this house kind of on the property we my family purchased it in 1989 and um i pretty much lived there off and on ever since as i was five years old in 1989 and um God, you make me feel so <laughs> and so we were always told by our neighbor who was gene cole who was a principal and teacher at the high school he had always told me when i was a kid that he was he built his house himself and he was the third house on our block and now our house is actually the first house on the block and it was built in 1960 and we have these huge, we have double sliding glass doors in our living room and one in our master bedroom and that basically look at houses now. But when it was built in 1960, it was overlooking the golf course. So in our living room, the double sliding glass doors would have been overlooking the nine hole golf course because it's kind of up on the hill. So I can see the community church from my living room looking out that window and then the other one is pointed north and i believe that you could see pike's peak from that one no. before the trees got too tall you so pointed north or pointed south south sorry pointed south i guess yeah south. sorry yeah <laughs> <laughs> it makes it no it's pointed south and it could be pike's peaks my neighbor had told me he built his face pointed south the same way as our master bedroom window is because you could see Pikes Peak back then. Now you can't see Pikes Peak from then because the trees have grown a lot taller than they were at that time. And so when I was a kid, we there was a big field behind our house that is still an empty lot. And we used to go running around there playing as a kid. And I'd always find golf balls because that was a golf course. So I used to find old golf balls around there. And then, um, and I had a friend that lived behind my house I, I called him my grandpa and I was over at grandpa's house one day who lives on Valley View kind of just across from the church and up the hill and we saw a whole bunch of firefighters and a whole bunch of people down at the old Pink Pony Ranch clubhouse and I 
knew where that was because as a kid too, we used to go in the old swimming pool and there pretty much was water in there year round and we would catch salamanders in the old swimming pool because it was all algaed out and you know, it was basically open. And so we went down there and the fire department was there and they were prepping. It was like the day before they were burning it down and they were prepping the building to get it burnt. So I was, you know, about, let's see, that was 94. So I was 10 years old at the time. And so the firefighters said, hey, you want to grab a rock and throw it and crush a window? Because the more windows we break, the more airflow and it'll help the building burn. So as a 10 year old kid, I'm having a fire department tell me I can take a rock and Growing throw it into a young vandal. Yeah, throw it and smash windows, which was awesome. You know, we had a kid getting told you can break something. It was pretty cool. So I, you know, smashed a couple windows with the fire department there. And then funny part of the story. So I so I went home after that and I went home kind of bragging saying, oh, you know, I got to smash windows at this tree, you know, at the old country club that's getting torn down. And my, my sister, who was 14 at the time, thought, oh, well, I want to, you know, we want to go break windows, too. So she went down there with a couple of her friends and they had got there after the fire department had left. They were already gone. And. But they proceeded to break windows anyways, even though there was no fire department there. And they were taking sticks, I think, and breaking them and rocks and breaking them. So nevertheless, one of the neighbors called the police and the police ended up, well, they were too young and didn't get arrested. But the police came and had an interaction with my sister doing what I had, had done with the fire departments and got away with it earlier. So it's kind of a joke between me and my sister that I, I got her in trouble and got her <laughs> her first ticket or first interaction with police because it was my fault because yeah of course it was yeah. your fault yeah right yeah so and it's still a church now and they've kind of grown to the point there's a community garden on the property and um part of that there's uh habitat for Hum- humanity is building townhomes kind of behind it on there and Huh. So uh, Pastor Green Street's telling me he's been waiting to see with the digging back there if they find any old golf balls. Oh, that's neat. Or anything. So, all right. So if somebody actually wants to to go in and find the article that you know, our conversation here is based on, where would they find that? So the mountainjackpot.com. Okay, would be the best way. And what was it, August seventh that the the article was actually printed? Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. Anybody out there looking for the article on which uh, we're basing this podcast today? <laughs> Go ahead and go over to what's the mountainjackpot.com? Yeah. Okay, go to the mountainjackpot.com and do a search for Paint Pony Ranch. And that's Paint P A I N T Pony Ranch. So, from before we wrap up here, you were talking a lot. It sounds like Dar was really, really involved in the community. So, can you kind of maybe talk about some of the stuff that the Paint Pony Ranch used to do for, for, for us? Um, well, they, they were involved with quite a bit of organizations um from what i understand there is a there was like a teen club that would have dances there all the time for the younger people in the community um the high the high school would have their senior prom there pretty much every year and then they would also they would also lease their swimming pool out to like different the dude ranches that were around town one of the girls ranch they would have the all the girls from the ranch come and swim in the swimming pool and i think they also opened the swimming pool up to the public on certain days as well. That's not bad. So yeah, the, as as in addition to him achieving his dream and opening this yeah, club, and being a country club for Texans and other stuff, there's actually yeah, he really wanted to give back to the community. Yeah, and that's so. kind of different because there's 
that there's kind of, as far as ranch owners, because I recently did a lot of research for this movie that the U.S. Historical Society is coming out with, there's some of the ranch owners, like Frank Snell at Paradise Ranch, he didn't really like the locals. He he wanted more, he wanted the tourist money. He was more of a... Well, he was one of those snobs that you were talking about. <laughs> yeah, and he... He, he catered more to people that came from out of town with money, basically. But then there's the other ones that were more, you know, community-friendly and, yeah. you know, and would open up their ranch resort to the community one day a week or whatever it may be. And That's good. We need more of that around here. Right? <laughs> All right, then. Well, then, I guess with that, I'll go ahead and wrap up the, this, today's episode. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you, Trevor, for sitting down. Yeah. Enjoy. Of course... We always talk anyways. Right. Yeah, we, we actually do this podcast thing as partners. So uh, everybody out there, thank you for listening, and we hope you'll join us next time for more stories from the Midlands.